Hi there, everybody. Matt here. Hey, listen, we were trying different methods of recording this time around, and they didn't really work out so well. So I want to personally apologize for the audio quality of the list portion of the podcast. We switched back to the other version too late, essentially, but we switched back to the other version for our House of the Dragon talk. Thanks for your tolerance, and hopefully you'll enjoy. Kelly. Oh, I'm hard at work, nose to the grindstone, figuring out how that spider got that checky water and turned it into ice cubes. It's my greatest conspiracy theory yet. It's mad. I have thoughts. I have ideas. Yeah, most of them won't be valid, but they're mine anyway. Wonderful panelists. You know, speaking of redeeming yourself, there will be zero Rockstar Rhaegar references this time, my dude. You are listening to Before the Dragon. your 353rd favorite podcast covering game of thrones house of the dragon a song of ice and fire all of those things involved in george r R. martin's world or dave and dan's world or shaposnik's world doesn't really matter because we're 353rd out of 50 active podcasts that are gearing up for House of the Dragons. And we're going to gear up a little bit today, too, with the latest news. We're going to talk a little bit about some issues that we may or may not have about House of the Dragon. But before we do that, we're going to have a very special, fun podcast where we are coming up with lists from stuff that everybody should know, Game of Thrones. All kinds of rankings of our favorite characters are placing them in particular situations uh, that you wouldn't expect to find them in. It's going to be a lot of fun, hopefully, for all of you as we go through this. I know it's never all that fun when it's just me. And that's why I brought along the most fabulous A Song of Ice and Fire siren in the West. Um, yeah, she's the only one in the West that's worth a darn. She's Kelly. She's at Kelly Underfoot. Kelly, thanks for joining me. Hi, Matt. Yeah, I'm the best and the worst Siren of the West. I'm the only Siren of the West. We get to hold all of the titles uh, until I get one of my girls to move out here with me. Uh, West Coast, West Coast, just saying. Uh (laughs) Undefeated in the West. Kelly, she's undefeated uh, for That's sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so glad that you're joining me. We miss everybody. We miss Stephanie. We miss Holly. We miss John. We miss Bubba. We miss Mike. We miss everybody. Uh, but we're bored. So we're going to have some fun today talking about some Game of Thrones lists. We'll call them the List Games of Thrones is what we'll call this section. And after we get done with that, we will have a special section where we talk about House of the Dragons, but we'll put a little bit of a music interlude in between this fun game section and that section, just in case you're one of those people who doesn't really like to get all of the information based on trailers or on, you know, scouting reports of filming or or things like that, or even just issues about which characters have been casted and that kind of thing. We want to make sure that you remain spoiler free if you want to. Incidentally, if you have any comments about how we do this podcast, we'd love to hear from you, including the lists that we're going to be doing today. We want to hear your versions of the list, too. So tweet those to at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter, if you wish. That's at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod, all strung together very sloppily. uh, And that's how you reach me. 
Matt. Kelly, if people want to talk to you, how do they do it? If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at Kelly Underfoot, K-E-L-L-Y, Underfoot like mother. So let's just have some fun today. Let's let's have some list games of thrones. So we've got several kinds of list games set up here. Some of them we're going to be ranking the characters in order. Some of them we're going to be finding different positions uh, for them in, say, like a choir or maybe how we feel about their nicknames and these kinds of things. Kelly, I'm just going to go ahead and let you pick which game we're going to play first. Since it's timely, uh, and I love this idea, let's go from the top. Let's do the Olympics. All right. It is timely because uh, this is the first time in a while that we've had just six months in between summer and Olympic Games. Uh, There for a little while, everything was two years apart, but because of this blasted COVID-19 pandemic, get yourself vaccinated, uh, we had to delay the Olympic Games, the summer games, and the winter games are coming up very soon. And so uh, it's been a while. I remember as a child, like in 1980, I loved seeing the winter games in February and then those same summer games in, say, late July, early August. Uh, But that hasn't been the case for quite a few years. At any rate, here's the idea. We're going to rank Game of Thrones characters based upon which way we think that they might actually be successful in the Olympic Games. It can be summer or winter games. We want your list too. I think we should just do a top five, Kelly. How about that? I have many spaces filled because I had so much fun with this, but I will definitely be able to pick my favorite top five. I have a very clear... Well, we can hear your honorable mentions, but let's do it. Let's let's see what our top Olympic athletes are. Kelly, I'm going to give you a chance to give your top five first. So go ahead and lay on us number five. We have, I think, one of the most obvious, and it's been memed, so uh, don't come at me, but I thought it was worth the bottom of the list here. At least had to be mentioned. Uh, Knight's King, that Javelin gold medal winner. He he nailed it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Number four. Number four. It was also timely and new this year. I really liked the rock climbing. It's called sports climbing in the Olympics this year. And I picked Bran from season one, episode one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because that's about the extent to which we saw how uh, skilled he was. But I think Tormund would come in and get that silver medal as well. So I would give Tormund and, and his team the silver medal. Uh, in the same uh, competition. <laughs> Excellent. In the team sport climbing, you've got Tormund's <laughs> team. And in the individual competition, you've got Bran. Excellent. Uh, your number three. Number three had to give to Littlefinger. Surprisingly, didn't love seeing him on the list, but the fact you can't ignore in the show, my man got around, he must be training for the triathlon. He was on a bike. He was on a horse and he was running like that guy. He was trucking. He, <laughs> <laughs> he was able to get around. So I think he would be an excellent candidate for the triathlon for any any Westeros uh, Olympics that were held. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Number two. 
Uh, number two, let me take you back because this is no longer an Olympic sport. But in my research, which I, I thoroughly did for this segment, because uh, with Venn diagrams and everything, <laughs> and charts and spreadsheets, of course. <laughs> if you go back to the 1900s to the 1920 games, tug of war was actually a Olympic sport. <laughs> and all I could picture from uh, this scene uh, were the whites versus, I think it was Basarin, the dragon in the frozen lake. And yes, <laughs> I do believe that that tug of war would have made uh, would have made the an Olympic team. And also any future just any time there was a dragon on one end of the chain and anyone on the other end of the chain, um, they would end up getting you know, silver and gold. So that's that's a sport I would like to see. But I do believe that the whites um, held their own and won for the humanoid side <laughs> and got the gold. In most other excellent. cases, most other cases, the dragons would get the gold. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. I love it. Number one. And number one has got to go to my man, Gendry. You know he got the gold for rowing. (laughs) (laughs) He was rowing between several longly extended uh, seasons and and episodes. So he he got that uh, blacksmith strength in the arms, and they were just that much stronger after the rowing. So, uh, you know, he was just that much better of a blacksmith once he got to uh, Dragonstone, or from Dragonstone to King's Landing. Wow, what a list, a fantastic list. I also had Gendry as an honorable mention, and I was worried when you said it, but I had him for a different sport. I had him for marathon, uh, simply because he ran all that distance in season seven uh, in order to get word to Daenerys and did so and had to be world record time. Uh, But I had him as an honorable mention in that. Here we go. My number five, Brienne of Tarth. In women's freestyle wrestling, when you think about her wrestling with the hound at the top of a cliff, and she won that battle for sure. She takes the gold in this particular competition. Like Kelly, I had sport climbing for my number four, so my number four is Jon Snow. For sport climbing, because he managed to get up that wall with Egret in tow as he did so. My number three, he gets the golden fencing. It's Cereal Pharrell. Very good. My, my honorable mention as well. So excellent. Glad he made your list. Yes, he, he was very good. Uh, even with a dulled wooden sword, he managed to hold off Marin Trant for quite a while, evidently. Long enough. Now, my number two, is Jamie Lannister at the 10-meter platform. Because who doesn't want to see Jamie Lannister seriously in, you know, those Speedos, first of all. Secondly, if you think about right back to the very first scene that we ever saw with him and Cersei, she was talking about how he wanted to jump off the cliffs. Uh, and, uh, and so it just seems appropriate that he would be a 10-meter platform diver in the Olympics. He'll take the gold easily based on looks alone. Deep hole. Yeah, that's a good call. And finally, was there ever any doubt? My number one, the mountain. Shot put. If you can squish ahead, you can certainly put a shot. You can (laughs) take a little metal ball and throw it from here all the way to the wall. 
And so uh, the mountain wins the ultimate gold. He is the most valuable Olympic athlete. He's bearing the flag at the end of, at the closing ceremony because he performed so well. The mountain at shot put. He would get the goats, greatest of all time. Although I suppose for him, I would call it the woats. He's the worst of all time at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's impressive either way. Impressive either way. <laughs> I do want to get to some of our honorable mentions here. Go ahead with yours, Kelly. What do you got? I have two that we weren't mentioned. Honor, honorable mention. Three. I have three. I don't want to miss them. Gotta mention my girl, Aria. She was just all around goat uh, in my book, but I had to pick one for her. Um, she, she could do fencing. You know, she could do horse riding. She could do everything. But I did want to put her in something that matched her her identity. And um, I liked ice dancing for her. <laughs> Get some more winter sports Aww. in here. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's ice dancing and not rhythm just gymnastics. That's <laughs> no. all I've got to say about that. No, no. Uh, twirling, twirling ribbons around does not seem Aria's style to me. What else you got? I also had for the uh, sport, the equestrian sport, you really could put the all of the Dothraki in here. But uh, particularly our number one Dothraki, Drogo, had to get the gold in that case. And I thought that was a good call. Sandy uh, pulled that one out for me as we were discussing this uh, mano a mano. And then my, <laughs> my last one, um, Ramsey Bolton for archery just because of those multiple times he made some pretty impressive shots, not the least of which uh, the gloating shot that he made at the straight running Rickon. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very far, so it was still very impressive. <laughs> now, uh, the thing is, is that Ramsey might not have done so well if it was a moving, a lateral moving target. Uh, exactly. But, uh, because of... You know, all he had to have was good depth perception Rickon and a strong arm. was basically a target. Let's just call it what it was. He was just a target that <laughs> Ramsey was waiting might until he as well have just Might as well have just pinned him up to a wall and put a big red circle in his chest. <laughs> so sure. true. But Ramsey got him. So I'm, uh, I'm going to give him an honorable mention here. Uh, as horrid as the boy was, uh, Ramsey, it was an impressive shot. <laughs> Excellent. I love that. Any more? Nope. That was my list. (laughs) All right. I love that list. I had Yara in rowing, uh, thanks to that whole scene uh, where they went in to try and save uh, her brother Theon uh, in season four. I had Arya as well, uh, but I did choose archery for her simply because uh, she was getting trained from one of the uh, most badass archers in the entirety of Westeros, uh, at least if you took his word for it. Uh, I only had her getting a silver, though. I figured she got edged out by the waif. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Until the end, she constantly was. <laughs> and my other uh, honorable mention uh, are also ran. I also went equestrian. Uh, but I went with Sansa. I just figured Sansa would be a pretty good horse person uh, because she would have good poise on on the horse, and uh, she rode a horse pretty well in the Battle of the Bastards. So that was San- my yes. other nominee. Sansa would do very well in dressage or uh, Marjorie as well. I think in the books there's more about Marjorie's horse riding, so I think that there's a parallel there in the uh, in the show. You get you get that for sure. I love that. All right. Uh, how about what are we going to do next, Kelly? You pick one off your view list here. <laughs> um, is it too dark to make a, a Aria, um, Tanya Harding, uh, the waif joke? <laughs> 
Oh my. <laughs> Folks, send your hate mail to <laughs> at Kelly Underfoot on Twitter. That's K E L L Y Underfoot on Twitter. Tell me how right I am. <laughs> they will. They'll tell you how right you are. Absolutely. All right. Uh, what, so, Kelly, what are we going to do next? Oh, let's go to my suggestion because I want to hear yours. I already went through all of mine. So, <laughs> I know what I'm going to say, but I'm excited to hear yours. Pick one character that you enjoyed their introduction. So, let's just do like your top five in there, either like introduction or their reintroduction because there were some characters that went away for a while and then came back um, let's see we can like just describe what you liked about their coming back on, uh, to the screen okay so the top five introductions uh i'll sans the alternates for now and go straight to number five tywin lannister in season one episode seven you win or you die uh, because nothing says love like dressing down your eldest son while you're dressing up a stag. My number four, Melisandre in the season two premiere. Nothing makes friends faster than throwing a bonfire party on a beach. Oh, well, <laughs> you make some friends, you lose some friends. <laughs> you don't like bonfires on the beach? I think she was burning people. No, she was just burning idols. She was just burning. Uh, oh, that time. God, that time. That's right. <laughs> yeah, she, that would, would have been season three that she was burning right, people. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. That, that's that's when you know she thought I got to make my party have more pizzazz this year, and uh, she just went a little bit too far. All right. So hopefully you you net in the positive the number of people you attract. <laughs> number three. The introduction of Jockin Hagar. Because a boy has more courage than sense to say otherwise. I mean, if I don't put Jockin Hagar on that list, he's going to come kill me. <laughs> he's very polite, but very murdery. <laughs> the most polite murderer I've ever met. Uh, my number two, I yield! My selection is Sam Tarly uh, from Season 1, Episode 4, Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. Uh, that has got to be one of the most pathetic, one of the sweetest, and uh, instantly investable characters I've ever been introduced to on a television show. I, I loved Samwell from the moment one because I am a skinny version of him. I'm a coward, and I don't do well in fights. My number one... The introduction of Drogon, Rhaegal, and Viserion in the season one finale. I mean, these characters, everybody loves dragons until they burn down King's Landing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just thought that that was one of the most iconic moments in the show, and it's the first time we get to meet them. I do think of them as characters, but if you have thoughts uh, that want to say otherwise, tweet to me at the letter B, the number four. The Dragon Pod on Twitter. No, that was a solid list. I think that that's because I was thinking when I was going through this, it's like my favorite characters are definitely going to be on this list. And then I was like, oh no, wait, all of the characters you meet in a very like mellow, almost um, foreboding way. And it's just you introduce them, they're there. And then like all of the Starks, like no Stark made my list. 
Yeah, so this kind of made this a little bit more of a challenge than I expected when I first proposed it. So that was a good, that was a good uh, compilation. Um, I Samwell did not make my list, but I forgot about <laughs> the the exact nature of the patheticness of his uh, of his introduction. So that was <laughs> a very good and but that's that was the idea of like what I liked about most of my my characters' introductions is that you kind of got the idea of who they were right off from the first scene with them. So that was a good. I would have been on my list if I remember, remembered how good that right. was. <laughs> on. Well, I'm going to skip over my uh, alternates for now, and let's get straight to your list here. For sure. Kelly, your number five favorite introduction of a character on Game of Thrones. My number five uh, was... A great introduction of a great character, not only because I was excited about him from the books, but I think the actor outdid it. It was great John Umber's introduction. If, whether or not I'm remembering correctly, whether this was his introduction, this is how my memory recalls the scene is when he's at the meeting and he gets attacked by Grey Wind and you think it's going to be this big blow up, but it ends up just being like it just such an iconically northern reaction he loses fingers and my man's like your meat is bloody tough and that's <laughs> i loved it it was just a tense cut with humor and of course you have die wolf in it which you know never hurts so anyway great john umber i'll never forget it and it made me laugh and it was it was fantastic number five that was mine <laughs> excellent kelly how about your number four favorite character introduction from game of thrones my number four favorite introduction was actually a reintroduction of a character that we had kind of lost track of from earlier in the series. Um, and that was Lancel. Lancel? Lancel Lannister. Because mm. <laughs> my boy, did he glow up in between. <laughs> I did not recognize that actor when he came back because he was a scrawny, like straw, straggly hair. Newt of a character. He was dropping wine everywhere. He was just a mess. The thing that I keep thinking about in regards to Cersei and and uh, Lancel is that you know she should have just waited a couple years before she had the thing with him because he turned out to be so much better of a man uh, by that point. Or at least looked more like Jamie. Like it would have made more sense. Like Jamie, you know what I mean? When Lancel came back and he was all buff and stuff, like we'll ignore the fact that he was like a religious fanatic and super creepy and had a star cog into his head eventually. Like ignoring all that. Uh, <laughs> what's that? That's nothing. We can look around a lot. Once I realized who he was, I enjoyed the fact that his character had changed so much as well. What about your number three favorite character introduction or reintroduction in Game of Thrones? My number three was Yara Greyjoy. <laughs> they changed the name and that was like souring me when I first was anticipating the scene. But when she did show up and she totally owned Theon, I was pleasantly surprised. And yeah, you know, you've got the ickiness, whatever, but we've been watching Lannister incest and we kind of got like the idea of like, this was this was small potatoes. <laughs> yeah. And I think actually like her having like bodily autonomy and having like some confidence in herself. I was down for it. I was like, you get a girl. And uh, of course, seeing Theon get on his uh, icing on the creepy cake. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. Absolutely love it. You're number two. My number two favorite character introduction was 
Edmere slash Blackfish. <laughs> oh. We had a uh, Catlin and Co. end up going to the Back to River Run for the funeral and their Viking style, sending the father down the river. And Edmure sure can't hit him no matter how many times he tries with the flyer arrow. Blackfish gives him a chance, gives him a chance, gives him a chance, and finally just walks up, shoots the arrow, turns around, walks away. Doesn't even doesn't even stay to watch it hit. He knows he hit it. Like. It was just very impressive. I uh, told you all you needed to know, again, about these two characters, and I loved it. <laughs> now, why didn't you select uh, Brendan for the Olympic archery? That's a good question. I feel like there's not really a flaming arrow on a funeral pyre category. <laughs> oh, yeah. Plus, if you've got 150 competitors, who wants to go out and gather 150 corpses, right? <laughs> I mean, Piper. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, the world is waiting. Your number one favorite introduction of a Game of Thrones character or reintroduction of a Game of Thrones character is... The whole reason I came up with this idea was because of this specific character's introduction. I love it so much. I think about it at least once a week. It's fantastic. Over in Martell. Tyrion's looking all over the city for him. Finds him at the love house. He's having a great time. Arya's having a great time. They're just enjoying life and love. And then you have the whole scene with his interaction and he's confident as heck. And then he does this little walk where he walks past a candle and he just waves his hand over the candle. And I don't know if that scene was just in enough trailers that I watched that I was so excited about, but it was just a sexy move. <laughs> and I loved it so much. And he was such a great character moment for Oberyn. Again, just told you everything you need to know about this character. More or less, at least about his mannerisms and kind of his confidence. And I think you got a lot out of just that first interaction with him. And I think the show really nailed it right there. Wonderful list. What kind of alternates did you have for this? Yeah, I had Tywin because, again, that was a great scene. Exactly what you described. I, I loved like how what well you got to know this character from that scene. I did have a High Sparrow. I thought that that was kind of enigmatic, but he seemed like a really cool character foil for for Cersei she couldn't get a beat on how she could use him so I liked that I liked Talissa's introduction with Rob I liked that character you don't get a lot of like just genuinely good characters and with hindsight when you can tell that she wasn't the bad guy she was just doing like awesome things and being an awesome person and uh, we didn't get a lot of that in the show so <laughs> I like seeing that side of it <laughs> We also wrote down as examples. I did enjoy the Brienne introduction where uh, she's fighting and she wins the tourney and then she goes up to her king to accept her honor and she takes off her helmet and then gasps the whole audience. <laughs> it's a woman. I love that one too. In fact, I had put that one in uh, just because you had suggested it. I was like, oh, that's that's too good. I can't use it because somebody might actually <laughs> use it in one of their top five. But I, I definitely put it down as an alternate as well. Uh, another of my, a lot of my alternates actually were returns. Um, for instance, Benjen returning to save Bran and Mira. And this one, the return of the Hound. You thought he was a cold body. He got his own cold open to tell you that, nah, not dead. Uh, book fans just love pondering that whole chapter from Feast for Crows. And so, uh, it was nice of the showrunners to pay that off by bringing, uh, Rory McKett back. I love that. 
and the episode itself yeah, is okay but uh, the introduction was really well done what do we want to do next we've got a couple lists left here kelly i've picked several in a row matthew you're up all right well in that case uh i'm going to go all serious here and we're going to each pick a character and give our top five moments for that character in the series. This one was hard. It was hard, uh, <laughs> which is why it's fun when you finally get to the re- results. It's a, it's a lot to digest. And folks, uh, you will have vastly different lists uh, from us, and we want to hear them. Once again, tweet at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. But, first of all, Kelly, which character did you choose? It was a tough call. You'll see why, and I'll go for it. But the the final one I had to pick was Danny. Daenerys Targaryen. Wow. What about you? Well, uh... I have I have two here. I'm gonna hold on to that until I until uh, you get done with your list here to see if I, either of my lists can possibly top it, which is never possible with Kelly. Kelly cannot be topped. Kelly is undefeated. She is uh, the best in the West. Song of Ice and Fire, Siren in the West, best in the West. But uh, yes, I would I want to hear your top five moments for this character. All right, so I probably missed several that I'm going to kick myself for later, but just to lock it in, you know, put, pin me down, I'll answer, these will be my top five. I'm going to actually go, this is going to mess things up too much if I go my top one and then go down. <laughs> it messes it up totally. You cannot do that. You must go in <laughs> reverse. reverse order. Very good, very good. Okay, so. This is why we make actual rankings as opposed to, uh, just listing all of the things and picking and choosing, how, you know. It's so hard. <laughs> all right. It is not. It is. Kelly, your number five best moment from Daenerys Targaryen is... Battle of Winterfell. I think she had... She knew what she was doing at that time. I think she had figured out all of her dragon skills and the dragon's capabilities and she used them epically in that moment. And I was very proud of my girl. And um, let's be honest, it might have been like the last time she used her college cooker. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, yes, I do enjoy uh, Daenerys Targaryen uh, in uh, The Long Night. Lots of great moments from that show. There were other good moments in that show. I want to be clear. Like A lot of this is just epic, right? We're going for epic moments. Um, that's how I chose to pick them. That's an excellent first start. If that's number five, I can't wait to see what the next are. <laughs> so why don't you give us number four is... You'll notice a trend because now we're going to go back to uh, Essos. And this was where she uh, came back from the uh, Vazdoth Rack and she was talking to all of the slavers and they were negotiating a surrender. Uh, however, there was a misunderstanding as to which side would be surrendering. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that from just her control in that scene and the peak of her power and uh, controlling uh, politics of the situation. You know, she's got to drag for that. That is excellent. Number three. 
Number three was a little bit earlier. We're going back a little earlier. This is uh, when she was in Astapor and she was training one of her dragons for the army of slaves. A little switcheroo on the audience as well. And I think my girl Daenerys, she tricked everybody, but she knew what was, she just knew herself and I enjoyed watching her in her own power in that moment. And it was earlier in the series. So you could see that this was like, one of the first times she was really pushing the power that she could wield. And it also was really clever of her to, to pull the switcheroo and free the slaves and then immediately turn them on the masters. And also it was real. Like that was an awesome, I don't know, as a libertarian, she was as being, you know, she was freeing slaves. I think that was a beautiful uh, character moment for her and maybe the peak of her popularity. <laughs> Do you still have two top choices left your number two favorite moment from Daenerys Targaryen is don't hate me because it was after she murdered all those innocent people in King's Landing but I gotta give the cinematographer props for the scene where she is standing in front of the archway and Drogon shows up behind her and flaps his wings and it looks like in silhouette that Danny has wings and that just chilled me when I watched it um, the first time and it's, it's, I mean, it was just breathtaking and as horrible mm -hmm. as I felt, like she looked like the villain, but she was also majestic and it was sad and wonderful at the same time for me. And yeah. It was, it was my second favorite Danny moment. <laughs> totally scared the bleep out of me when I saw that. I was like, Oh my gosh, your number one favorite moment from Daenerys Targaryen. It is. We've already mentioned it on this episode. You probably guessed it. Favorite Danny moment. Season one finale. Um, my girl birth dragons. It doesn't get any better in television history. It was, it was a moment. And it really solidified this show as what it was going to be. And I think it did it well. And I think that it carries the, uh, the whole weight of the series on it in, in that scene. Um, I think that's what pushed me over the edge of uh, making Daenerys Targaryen my favorite character. Tragic though she may be, let's not ignore, my girl had a crazy arc and she went from, I mean, what didn't make my list was, you know, one of the first things when she belt slapped Viserys and, you know, we mm. had her putting double XD in the, in the vault, burning up warlocks. Like she had an arc where she was so good for so long and the tragedy of this character. Really. So I still think little retribution uh, hurt somebody. <laughs> I, I know that many fans uh, felt cheated a little bit uh, by the turn. You had to have a bad guy. And once you eliminate the bad guys who you got left, you have to have a good guy turn a bad guy, I guess. And um, I've, I uh, feel bad for fans who didn't enjoy that because I know they were really looking forward to something probably different and they didn't get it. And I, I have to keep reminding myself, like as much as I love this character, like the allegory of dragons equal nuclear weapons and like no matter how good of a person you have who's in charge of the button, like it doesn't eliminate the fact that this is not a wieldable weapon in society because it can always be you know when humans are involved things get messy like, like oh it's human that's right <laughs> in, in fact 
we should have taken our cue from Drogon in, in season five when he just said, enough with you, and took off and left. That, that ancient memory, he knew, I don't belong around humans. But... The inside jokes just keep coming around here. <laughs> uh, you got to go way back to podcast Winterfell, I think, to catch that one, or, or maybe not quite that far back. Yeah, way back to podcast Winterfell uh, to catch the reference of that. I'm not going to explain the joke. You ought to get it. <laughs> If you don't get it, well, well, you got lots of episodes to listen to. And I love Axel, so I'll just go ahead and plug Podcast Winterfell on the DVR Podcast Network. They're a lovely podcast. You can join their Patreon page. Just go to patreon.com slash DVR, <laughs> I believe. If I misquoted that, Axel, I apologize. All right. I want to hear your, your top five character moments, because obviously mine were like fighting or some sort of like resolution to fighting moments so i want to hear what yours were but it's i'm just kind of a you know, bloodthirsty show watcher <laughs> well um i have two characters here and there's one that would really make kelly happy and there's one that she's just probably going to go what and so i'm going to choose that one the character that i chose and I'll just preface this by saying right up front, send your hate mail to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. The top five moments of a favorite character that I have are for Melisandre. Here are my top five moments uh, for Melisandre. Number five, Melisandre, the optometrist. Eyes you'll shut forever, she says. Brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes. Except she didn't say them in that order until season eight. She said them in a different order in season three when that occurred. Uh, season three, episode six, The Climb. My number four, Melisandra, the computer tech. That's when she builds a firewall in season eight, episode three, The Long Night. I have no other comments. She the Bible. <laughs> Worth it. Worth it. <laughs> nice and brief. <laughs> Number three of my favorite moments for Melisandre is Melisandre the Lab Tech. When she's getting a blood sample from Gendry in season three, episode six, Second Sons. Uh, just that, that's a very... Uh, unorthodox way uh, to get a blood sample when she could have just stabbed him and been done with it. You know, stab him in the hand, cut off a finger, do anything else. Uh, it was ridiculous, and I loved it because it was ridiculous uh, in more ways than one. Melisandre is a mom is my number two. She has a shadow baby. Uh, in season two, episode two, Garden of Bones. Uh, man, I'd have been more freaked out than Davos. I would have, I don't care how far I had to run, if I had to jump off a cliff, uh, whatever I had to do to get away from that. There's no way I would want to be anywhere around that. And my number one favorite Melisandre scene, a necklace facelift. Uh, she is a plastic surgeon and all she has to do, uh, well, kind of in reverse order, but all she has to do is put a necklace on and bam, a hundred years 
200 years, maybe 700 years off your life. And people don't know any better. It's better than using the, all of those little fitness gadgets that they try to sell you at, on TV at 3 o'clock in the morning. You will have abs of steel if you just have that necklace. So uh, when Melisandre took her necklace off and we found out that she was 343,248,177 years old. Uh, that was my favorite moment, uh, roughly. Uh, uh, Kelly is now motioning to me that I, I may be approximately in the ballpark, but she's the mathematician. How old was she, Kelly? <laughs> it's unknowable, but it was roughly that for rounding. She's as old as the universe. <laughs> Uh, so those are my five. I have no alternates. I mean, uh, I went for the character that I thought would cause the most stirring uh, and the moments that I thought would cause the most controversy. Uh, feel free to let me know about that at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. I'm going to put up some polls here. I'm, I'm going to compare our lists. I'm going to put I'm going to pit Kelly against myself. Vote for Kelly. Vote for Kelly. Vote for Kelly. <laughs> vote for Kelly. Uh, you know, but we're going to see who has the best lists out of all of these because uh, for me and Kelly, if it's not a competition, it ain't nothing. What are we doing here? Yeah. If we're, <laughs> if we're not competing, then, you know, why are we podcasting? It's always a winner. <laughs> oh, somebody's got to win. That's, that's the very uh, essence of it all. Okay. So, I have made a choice here, uh, Kelly, because... I'm doing the editing and everything. I'm going to make you choose the next topic of choice. I want to do your awesome idea of placing the characters into the Sunday choir. Yeah. Imagine, folks, you have a choir at your church, and it consists entirely of Game of Thrones characters. It can only be Game of Thrones characters that are in that choir telling you how to praise God or Satan or whatever church that you're at. It doesn't really matter to me. But anyway, you can only choose members of the choir to be characters in the show. And uh, we're not going to list the entire choir of 46 to 230 people that it could be when you consider all of the characters in Game of Thrones. But we are going to pick one spotlight for each position in the choir. And if you don't know music and you don't know choir spots, uh, I went more with the classical approach and I came up uh, with 10 positions, basically 10 musical positions in the choir that consist of bass, tenor, countertenor, alto, mezzo-soprano, soprano, a soprano soloist, a tenor soloist, and a, uh, and some other kind of soloist, whatever, that can be in any of those other musical positions. Uh, and they are front and center with two or three words in Latin in order to get you through your Sunday. So, Kelly, let's do these together. Like, I'll let you do your bass first, then I'll do my bass, and we'll see where we are at the end of that. Who is your bass singer in the choir? For those like me who had to look all of this up, an example of a bass singer would be Johnny Cash or Barry White, to put you in the frame of reference here, because I had to look these up. I'm sure Matt has many more examples, but this was the YouTube video I watched, and those were the examples he gave me. <laughs> so based on that, I had to pick a very specific version of this character. I picked the mountain 
played by oh. the character in the time frame in which he was known as the beanpole that rides. Oh. Because as I recall, he had one line and it was hella deep. <laughs> and that was probably the deepest voice I had ever heard. And I have to imagine that he could fill that role gloriously. He's definitely hitting that low D for <laughs> sure. He is definitely hitting that low D. I love that. I tried to take a little bit more of a funny approach with mine. Uh, yeah. It won't be funny. I assure you folks. He tried. None of he the tried, stuff guys. that I do. Yeah, I, I will have tried to be funny. But my base is Robert Baratheon. Now, he's in the back row, slightly to the right of center. Uh, he's always farting during rehearsal and sometimes even during the services. And it happens so loudly sometimes that during the services, people in the congregation can actually hear over the organ, over the rest of the singers. And uh, he always looks around, acting like it wasn't him. He's trying to discover who actually farted. That's Robert Baratheon at base. Not his fault. His breastplate was too tight. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, she's quick. I like it when she's quick. Okay, we're moving on to baritone. I will go first this time at the position of baritone. Yeah. Now, what you have to understand is that most of the voices that you hear that are singing, eh, I don't know, somewhere in a barbershop quartet, they are a bass and then a tenor and then uh, a counter tenor and probably another counter tenor or somebody who might even qualify getting way up there. Now, uh, a baritone sits somewhere in between the tenor and the bass. They are kind of got a, a, a deep voice still. Uh, but they have a little bit higher range than that bass guy can go without farting. And so, my baritone is Ned Stark. Now, Ned is positioned uh, second to last row on the left. He's on the far left. Um, But he's constantly looking down at the book to make sure that he's singing the right words. And he only looks up and has a disgusted look on his face uh, once he smells and hears Robert Baratheon's fart. So sad. Kelly, top that. (laughs) So sad. But sure, sad but true. <laughs> so I'm going to trust you because I had Bobby B as a baritone because my YouTube video told me that John Legend and David Bowie were baritones. Mm, yeah, they had a little bit higher range too, but they could be uh, baritones. So I'm going to go with my backup because I cheated and I have a list of actors who are actually singers. <laughs> <laughs> in this show. Um, so I believe, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think Ellen Payne would be a baritone. Ooh, kind of tough to sing without that tongue, isn't it? Uh, season one, Ellen Payne would be a baritone. <laughs> uh, uh, did he not no, have a that, tongue? That uh, one, oh, it, season, oh, I'm sorry, uh, House of the Dragon. No, he's not born yet. When <laughs> pre Roberts Rebellion, dang it, you're sometime, right. Sometime, in, in, yeah, you got no. me. No, 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 okay, I've got a backup for my backup. By I didn't think of that. It's a baritone, but by sound, well, who's their baritone? Oh, I blew that one. No, 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 I got a backup for my backup. <laughs> Apparently, the actor, see, you guys were learning as well. Everybody's learning during this segment. Um, I love it when somebody does research and, prepare, and prepares for this podcast because I never do. <laughs> Just inherently geniuses don't have to. Um, so I learned that um, Dario 2, <laughs> the second actor that played Dario, is a duchy and he sings in 
Dutch, I suppose. <laughs> he has a great singing voice. Look him up. His name is Mikael Guzman. Oh, okay. I, his his voice sounded like a baritone to me. So uh, Dario number two will be my baritone um, in the choir. And you know what? Let's be honest. He'll bring he'll bring it in the looks department as well. Give the church lady something to to, to look at. <laughs> I was going to say he's uh, definitely going to be an attraction for both the choir and the congregation. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent choice, Kelly. I love it. Uh, much better than a guy who can't sing because he has. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so let's move on to tenor. Yeah. Kelly, who gets the tenor spot in your choir? Based on my research, this would be somebody with a vocal range of a Freddie Mercury or a Jason Mraz, if uh, you can picture this. I think I could picture Oberyn as a as my tenor uh, in my in my orchestra. And again, I. Or my choir. Ooh, that is an excellent choice. That is excellent. (laughs) I might be going for looks a little bit here because I don't know what I'm talking about musically. (laughs) I think Pedro Pascal, uh, you listen to the way the the speaking range of his voice, he would probably be a pretty good tenor if he sang. I don't know if he sings or not. So, um, and definitely, uh, it's hard to get people into church these days. Uh, So you need a good looking choir to get them in. And uh, I like nothing better than a bunch of attractive men who aren't farting or scowling because Robert Baratheon farted. Um, And so now we've made up a little bit of the balance there. Uh, For my tenor, this is going to sound weird, but it's true. Stannis Baratheon. He's in the middle of the second to the last row. Uh, He's got that little bit of high twist in his voice there that tells me that he could reach some of the notes not all of them unfortunately uh but he's always uh uh straining in his face uh as he falls just short of those notes he falls just slightly flat of that desired pitch uh and uh he does have in his book a six syllable solo in latin uh, that is marked up. He's got all kinds of notes marked in his book, uh, and he takes that solo very seriously, and he's always very disappointed when the choir director never calls the tune. <laughs> I'll take that as a no. I'll take that as a no. Uh, let's see. My turn. We're moving up a little bit in the range. Uh, more of how I think as Freddie Mercury, uh, especially depending on how tight his pants are when he was on stage. Uh, countertenor. Yeah. And, of course, how are you not going to go with Varys? Uh, you know, he's very cheerful during rehearsals to everyone. He's happy to be the guy closest uh, to the row of women because he, he can hear everything that they're chattering about. Um, also has a lot of questions uh, about pronunciations uh, to the director. And uh, he comments often uh, to other people about what he overheard during rehearsal do you say his his singing voice is a little breathy perhaps like he whispers a bit when he sings he's kind of invoking it has a lighter tone to it which tends to make it feel like that kind of crossing between the alto range and the you know where the the alto range is a little bit darker voice for a woman the counter tenor range is a little bit of a lighter voice for a man you know what all that meant because of my youtube video i watched today <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm so proud I'm of myself. For those of you who don't and are really mad at me for spending so much time with this and and not accurately describing what these musical positions are, tweet to <laughs> at the letter B, the number four, Dragon Pod on Twitter. <laughs> Kelly, who would secure the counter tinter spot in your choir? I had a couple options. Um, I also thought of Varys. But my first thought, somebody who I think actually sings in the show, is a voice that I learned it would be high enough that it would be higher than Frederick Mercury and Jason Mraz, someone like a Bruno Mars um, voice, that kind of high-pitched ability yeah. to get into falsetto head voice a little bit easier. Um, and let's face it, Bruno Mars is a good-looking man, too. I so. know, but unfortunately, not on the show. I think this is mm. a, a dignified option. Um, Samuel Tarley. <laughs> Especially when uh, Rast is beating him over with a sword because he no! really hits those high pitches when uh, when Rast is beating him with a sword. I yield! I yield! I yield! <laughs> Good practice. Yeah. Throat exercises. But I think he does say his mom would sing to him and I think he sings to the baby. I think he's got, I think he's able to, to pull it off. And that would be a good role for him. I think that that is absolutely lovely. We're finally getting to the women positions in this choir, uh, which I never knew this category was going to take this long because we have so many conversations <laughs> about the positions and what they are. And I apologize uh, because I'm just rambling now. But we're moving on to alto. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly, who gets the alto in your choir? For those of with me on this journey of discovery, an alto voice would be like a Tracy Chapman or an Amy Whitehouse, very deep, gravelly woman's voice without straining, able to hit those low notes. And this one took some imagination, but I think Egret would make a good alto. Egret, give me a reason to stay here and tell me why. Because <laughs> uh, you know nothing, John Snow. <laughs> oh, that is lovely. That is lovely. You know nothing, John Snow. Give me a reason to stay here. Yeah, every time she said that, you know nothing. It was always so deep and throaty. I thought she could hit those limits. Excellent. Um, notably, the actress, not a singer. <laughs> <laughs> she made that very clear. It was very cute. But the character, given all of the uh, northern songs and the last of the giants and yeah, oh, okay. and the fact that, you know, Egret could probably beat up half the men north of the wall anyway. Um, why not sing in that range? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. <laughs> Very, like, masculine tone, um, deep tone. Absolutely. I think that, I like that idea. Also, making that choir even prettier. Wow. <laughs> so you went Egret, and I went, uh, when you think about Egret's character, I kind of went totally in the opposite direction. She's the only member of the church uh, in terms of a clergyman or a clergywoman that would be in the choir as well. That's Septa Lamore. Septa Lamore is my alto. She's in the second row, far from the right. She's often seen scowling at other singers when the intonation isn't perfect. She just can't tolerate a waste of time in rehearsal and uh she often feels like screaming out shame 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 
Whenever someone's off key. <laughs> whenever someone's off key. Whenever, whenever humans are just being humans. Septima Lamour has no tolerance for that. <laughs> In her deep voice. Yeah, you know, uh, except when she's doing water torture, and then that's fine. Uh, Everyone's, everyone has the hobby. Everyone has a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moving on to a, a range. Uh, you probably are familiar with the term soprano from operas and that kind of thing, or, you know, HBO series. But the whole idea of a mezzo soprano is that they fit kind of, they have basically the same range as a soprano, uh, but their voice is just a little bit, the timbre of their voice is just a little bit darker. Um, and uh, they hit some of the lower notes more easily. They do not hit some of the higher notes as easily. And for mezzo-soprano, I have Sansa, who is always early to rehearsal. She always stays late after the congregation leaves. Uh, She talks to as many of the congregation as she can, and even volunteers in the soup kitchen after the service is complete. Uh, Even though some of the people that come through that soup kitchen, uh, she has a little hard time accepting uh, just because, you know, they're kind of disgusting. <laughs> it's true, though. And I had the same. I had Sansa oh, for... Oh, I your line! I'm sorry! <laughs> As a soprano. Because all I could think of um, when my options, my examples were Madonna, Lady Gaga, Beyonce. I was thinking of who's in this range. Uh, probably not tippy-top high, but definitely not gravelly low. And then, of course, I'm always going to be triggered remembering the scenes from the show where somebody is actually singing. And in my mind, I remember when Sansa is telling the ladies around her, Queens raise the drawbridge. We're in the safest place we could be. Shall we sing a hymn? And then they sing the uh, Prayer of the Seven. Excellent, excellent. That, and that, that range fits a mezzo-soprano range very well, and it's lovely. Yeah. That's, I want to shout that one out for uh, for Stephanie who couldn't make it tonight because yeah, it's my girl Sansa. She made an appearance. <laughs> we both Stephanie had uh, Stephanie. We both had uh, Sansa in our choir because she is uh, the greatest singer in the north. She's the singer in the north. Um, singer in the north. Singer in the north. <laughs> Moving on to the top position in the regular choir. We still got three soloists to go. This is a 45-minute long category. Soprano is our next category. Yeah. Uh, and this is the basically the person with the highest and sometimes most piercing range in the choir as well. Kelly, who is your soprano in your church choir i love the idea of miss sandy being my soprano she was just she just has that air about her and she just does have like the presence of a soprano to me whatever that means because my examples were ariana grande and mariah carey (laughs) so that's what i went with uh i could see her her in every language belting out the high notes (laughs) definitely not having a problem with latin stuff (laughs) exactly she's doing it she's doing it perfect pronunciation (laughs) who'd you get okay well it's funny that you chose miss sunday because i chose daenerys targaryen she's in the front row right in front of the choir director 
And she, she often has to turn her head just slightly because the power of her voice would just blow the poor choir director away if she just belted it right at him. And she's also being considerate of the congregation uh, because she, her voice does have that much power. Um, I mean, if you need a big sound that is going to break some glass, Daenerys is happy to deliver for you. And she rarely speaks to anybody else in the choir, except when she's talking to the director. Because uh, she takes her job very seriously? Or? You guys, you know, you watch season eight. You tell me what you think about that. <laughs> Tweet to, at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. Fun fact before we move on, I did find in my research that Maisie Williams is actually a soprano. She was in a choir, a video of her singing in a choir, and uh, I could tell that uh, she was singing the soprano parts. I didn't even know that Maisie Williams sang, so there you go. I didn't either. You've educated me, uh, as well as our listening audience. We love that when you do it. <laughs> Next up, you've got two or three sopranos in there, uh, but... There always has to be a featured soprano soloist. Someone who always gets the big parts. And I guess I will go first this time around. My soprano soloist, I've got Marjorie Terrell. She's got this beautiful voice that really brings an artistic flair to everything that she sings. It makes the chorus sound so great. She's very nice to everyone, seems to really care about her colleagues, even advocates uh, for anybody that uh, needs advocating for. Uh, she never sticks around. Uh, she's quickly gone, and she often goes, goes home and, and complains about how insane everybody else is. <laughs> Only they practice harder, right? <laughs> well, it's just, they, they, just, they just won't put in the work. It's more or less what she's telling. Uh, I don't know. Renly? Is that who she's telling? I don't know who she's telling. This point, yeah, probably. It's, it's, it's mind canon that, yes, it's Renly. She goes home to a good place here. <laughs> Renly won't even participate in the choir, in my choir, because, you know, he, he doesn't want to be usurped by Marjorie all the time. I mean, you know what he's using that time for while she's at the choir, right? <laughs> I don't want to know that. Why? Uh, but, we, yes, we all know what... what uh, uh, Sundays are special at Renly's house. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, because I don't see Loris's name on either of our lists either. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> Process of not elimination. Yet. Well, how do you know that Loris isn't on my list? <laughs> I know, not yet. We're almost there. But I am glad that I'm going to um, second tier because my soprano soloist is related to my tenor soloist and that's these two people could not be in the same room. Therefore, they had to have their own solo parts. Cersei and Bronn <laughs> are separated for uh, many reasons, but because not only do they have the skill, because they do, but the director made some strategic choices in these positions. And as long as they have the skill, he can justify it. But uh, for reasons we won't get into, these two characters are never in the same scene together. So Cersei comes in. And does her little drunken thing uh, from a Sunday morning from the Sunday morning Bloody Marys, and she sings, and then she stumbles off to the one side of the vestibule, and out from the other side of the vestibule comes Braun to do a solo. Is that what you're saying? 
Yes, and every other Sunday they alternate who gets to go first because otherwise that would be a thing as well. It would be a thing. It would definitely be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love, it. love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So I guess I got to do my tenor soloist now then, huh? Well, of course, my tenor soloist is Jamie Lannister. He's in the dead center of the chorus. All of the eyes turn towards him when he sings. And at some point in the service, uh, there's somebody uh, not even paying attention to their prayer book because they're just gazing at him. Uh, he never sticks around uh, after the service is over. He rarely shows up on time at choir rehearsal uh, and always leaves immediately as soon as it's complete. Uh, nobody seems to know anything about him either. Uh, but damn, that dude can sing. Or maybe he's just good looking. <laughs> he's good at singing, but there were just so many uh, suggestions in the church suggestion box that you make this guy the soloist <laughs> that they just had to, by popular demand, <laughs> make him that role. A good preacher knows how to fill his pews. Serving his purpose. <laughs> So that brings us to our final soloist. Any position that we choose, uh, 50 minutes into our conversation on this topic. Yeah. 75 minutes into the, our conversation on this topic. Not sure. Doesn't matter. We have uh, finally reached the final position. Any position in the choir, bass, baritone, tenor, countertenor, alto, mezzo-soprano, or soprano, who is your special guest vocalist, Kelly? Specifically the character. I want to have his voice drip into my ears all Sunday morning. He would be worth going to church for. He is the voice uh, of Game of Thrones. Um, he would narrate my dreams. That would be Sir Jorah. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Excellent <laughs> choice. Uh Geez, how do you how do you top that? I don't know how to top that. I chose an alto soloist. Uh, I chose Catelyn Stark. Uh, she's not the best singer of all of them, of course. Uh, but there's actually only two altos in the entirety of the choir, and if you got to choose between her and Septa Lamore, Catelyn's going to get the solos parts. Folks, we have one last Game of Thrones list, and Kelly's going to introduce it because it was her idea, and I adore it, uh, this idea. Don't forget, if you have your own list that you want to send to us, uh, please tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter, or simply go to Matt's audio blog, M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com, and find the contact information there, and find us that way. We'll share it in a podcast just as soon as Melisandre turns 1,397,422. Uh, Kelly, please introduce this category. My favorite of all. All right. Uh, do we want to truncate this or do we want to list all of them? Because I think we can just pick our top five. Top five sounds good to me. All right. Our top five favorite character mispronunciations or a simplified fan name. You're listening to a podcast. You clearly like podcasts about Game of Thrones. Self-selected, I can tell. There are other podcasts out there who've also made up funny names or character fandom online who's made up a funny name for uh i suppose these are all characters in one way or another <laughs> and um yeah so we're gonna pick our favorites and list them out bottom to top because this was your category i'm, I'm taking the reins uh and therefore 
Uh, I'll start with my number. We'll just alternate these. My number five, top mispronounced or fan nickname for a character is, of course, that man on a horse. The one who everybody fears because his braid was never cut. Also, if you like Grimes, you'll know him as Carl Drogo. That's Carl Drogo. Kelly, what is your number five favorite Game of Thrones nickname or mispronunciation of a character? I I also had Carl Drogo uh, in my top five. So since uh, you've already picked him, uh, I will go with his uh, the moon to his sun, the stars uh, to her stallion, whatever all those words were. It literally have a bracelet that says uh, moon of my life and my love has a bracelet that says my sun and stars. I think I know that, but I'm going with Daenerys Targaryen. We all heard her constantly being called Khaleesi capital K as if that was her name, but somehow this got twisted into Kelly C and I'm partial to that name for reasons. And so my number five <laughs> is the butchering of Daenerys Targaryen down to Kelly C somehow. <laughs> Here's my number four. My number four, mispronounced names or uh, fan nicknames. My number four is Bobby B. I think that that's just perfect for a guy that uh, doesn't want to be king. Uh, you know, he's, he's just the football player who, uh, never wanted to really be the star. He just liked blocking. Uh, you know, I love me some fan crossover. So this one was great. Osha, uh, was recognized as, uh, the character of Tonks from, uh, Harry Potter. And so she just got labeled wildling Tonks. Uh, by the fandom and I loved it and it was, uh, perfect. Uh, we weren't introduced to Asha Yara yet, so it was a great way to preemptively distinguish between the two since then they changed the names. So brilliant, useful, and hilarious. I loved it. It was nerdy. Uh, that, so good. That is great. <laughs> Our number threes now. Our number threes. I'm going to let you go first this time because I've been stealing your thunder. That's great. It's, keep it, it's keeping everybody on their toes here. All right, so all the characters in Essos, their names are hard to say. Uh, one in particular got the fan service. That would be Zaro Zohan Zoxis. Uh, you'd think we could figure that out. There's a lot of X's in there, though, and that makes our minds go wonky. So instead, everybody shortened it to double XD, which was cute, but not much shorter. And so it got shortened <laughs> even further to duck sauce, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That was your number three. My number three mispronunciation or fan favorite <laughs> nickname would be Creepy Finger. Dun, dun, dun. Had to throw one of those in there. Not going to explain why. That's an old joke. But uh, yes, uh, Creepy Finger, because <laughs> listen, Little Finger sounds a little bit demeaning. Creepy Finger sounds pretty accurate. It's right on. They nailed it. Uh, the uh, showrunners got his character and the actor got his character and just right. He's creepy as heck and the fans picked up on it. So, creepy finger, thus he was, uh, he was labeled. <laughs> My number two 
is the Baratheon that made it the longest. Um, so he he earned the title, uh, Stannis the Manus. It rhymes. It's a play on Stan the Man from something, I guess. But all I know from is Stannis the Manus. And we kind of exemplified how uh, enthusiastic his fans were. I loved it. And it was an excellent juxtaposition to how serious the actual character was. <laughs> Kelly, we've got to stop doing this. My number two was Stannis the Manus as well. We hang out a lot. I, we, uh, we, we know each other so well uh, that we should know better not to choose the same one in the same position. But, you know, uh, these are how friendships are made. And I concede to you all of your points about Stannis the Manus. Oh, it's the number one. It's the number one. Will we have the same number one just like we had the same number two? Let's say them at the same time. All right. Ready? Three, two, one. Bobby B. Sergio, our friend zone. Wow. You were holding that one. You could have stopped me. No. Nope. I was expecting us to say the same thing. Oh, man. I love calling. I didn't really call him Sir Friend Zone. Uh, I usually just called him Old Friend Zone Jorah, which was kind of a play on that. But uh, Sir Friend Zone was definitely a big name in terms of uh you heard that all over podcasts everywhere and uh why did you choose bobby b at number one oh, it's hilarious it's just i think of it in everyday life my mayor is robert garcia i think of him as bobby g all the time for no reason i don't tell him that but i think of him all the way <laughs> uh it works it, it just personifies somebody i think bobby b uh is irreverent Robert Brackett is irreverent. Uh, it, it works. Also, you know, he's the team. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Let's 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 go through this list, Kelly, of the other honorable mentions that were in this list uh, that you compiled excellently. In case anybody wants to tell us how wrong we are that we didn't even make these into the top five, uh, the rest of them on here, alternatively for Zora Marmont, there was Zora the Explorer, a little bit long, a little bit wordy. Um, <laughs> um, Hisdar Zolorak is sometimes called Hisdar Mo Kravitz, uh, just based on his appearance, apparently. Sansa. Was, yeah, I never heard that one. Me either, but I think some of these are deep internet troll memes, uh, which is great in their own right. If you heard these and this is your favorite, the way it tickled me that he was called Bobby B, this may have tickled you, so. Uh, that's totally legit. Let us know. Uh, Sansa was apparently sometimes called Salsa, uh, which I feel like that's more of just a dig at uh, fans uh, who are kind of shallow when they're watching <laughs> and just couldn't figure out what people's names were. She's a pretty good character, and that's a <laughs> and that's a food. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. Moving on, Dario the First um, was occasionally called Fabio Naharis just because he didn't look like what the book readers expected him to. And he had glorious <laughs> Fabio like hair. <laughs> and the last one is one that I don't even know if it belongs on this list because this is literally what it is called by everybody. I don't know what anybody else would call this, but I guess it was never actually referred to this in the show. Melisandre's shadow creature, a uh, child was always known as a shadow baby. I had no concept of it being called anything else. Uh, in my mind, 
Catelyn calls him Shadow Baby in, <laughs> in the show. I'm sure she doesn't, but I can't think of anything else that it would have been called. Um, but that's what I, that's what fandom called it, so that's what it was. I do know that lost podcasters, uh, being so obsessed with the smoke monster, tended to call the shadow the the uh, Melisandre's baby smoke monster sometimes. Uh, but that didn't that didn't really fly with anybody. But we used it a lot in season two. So, folks, what we're going to do now is we're going to take just a little bit of a pause, so that if you do not want to know any spoilers about House of the Dragon. Uh, we give you a chance to get out of this particular spot. Um, though some music will be playing, but remember, uh, if you have any thoughts about our lists or you want to do a list suggestion for us to try again some other time, please feel free to tweet at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. Also, uh, if you want to reach Kelly, Kelly, how do people reach you to tell you how brave you were in, you know, holding up to my jokes, my terrible, terrible jokes? Yes, you can send your admiration uh, tweets to <laughs> uh, Kelly Underfoot. K-E-L-Y, Underfoot, like my girl. Excellent. Folks, stick around if you want some House of the Dragon talk. If you do not, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Folks, you're still here. Why are you still here? You're still here because you want to know about House of the Dragons, and you don't mind if we talk about things like castings or about uh, possible spoilers because of the leaked photos, or you don't mind that we might throw in a book reference here or there as well. If any of that bothers you, this is your last chance. It's on you from here on out. I'm not going to take responsibility. You're not going to be able to tweet back to me and say, you spoiled me because you thought that you were safe here. When I've warned you multiple times that you are not. And so we begin our conversation regarding House of the Dragon. I selected a few topics to be able to talk about uh, in regards to the most recent of news. I don't think, Kelly, that we've actually talked about House of the Dragon since like February of this year? Has it been that long? I do believe it has been that long. So six months and a lot has happened. Uh, but I guess most importantly, production is continuing. There was a brief shutdown due to COVID-19 pandemic, but uh, it feels like everything's back on track in terms of production and what have you. Uh one of the fun games that's being thrown around right now amongst all of the podcasts that are still active and thinking about this show is uh, speculating on when it might release. I don't foresee, given that they are that they just uh, have, have still been filming and stuff, I don't speculate that it's going to be out in uh, around Easter uh, of next year like I suspected. I'm thinking it's going to be maybe more like a, a summer or fall release. How about you? <laughs> Yeah, I think that was, uh, I could 
seeing as they're still filming now in September, that would be really surprising if they were able to release uh, any time in the next few months, especially with how much um, CGI I'm expecting there to be in the show. And they hadn't filmed any of the scenes that they could put the CGI on. Um, I'm guessing they're going to be delayed further for sure. I agree with that completely. I do think that perhaps it's uh, another thing to kind of jump right into talking about differences between book and show uh, or speculating about what season one of House of the Dragon will be like. Uh, but something that has been noted uh, by various media sources is that the role of Aegon II has evidently not been cast. Uh, and since season one filming is already going on, unless they're keeping it a big secret, we're not likely to get Aegon II in this first season of the show. Do we need Aegon II? Because we're... Uh, re-establishing kind of a different time period of the world. Uh, we're re-establishing some other characters to get involved with. Um, do you need uh, someone who will play heavily in the future of the Dance of the Dragons right off the front when there's so much, let's say, intrigue at the beginning of the story? Uh, and we can talk even more about how it might go even before what we're given in the Fire and Blood book. But uh, do we really need Aegon the second in a season one? Do you think Kelly? I, I think if they were going to take the template from game of Thrones and how that series started kind of right when drama was taking off, like it was behind the scenes, but that the, the instigating factor of John Aaron dying, starting the whole series right there as a choice was interesting. And, and I think the, I think they're not taking that template and starting with where the drama begins I think they're giving us backstory this first season so that as the main drama of the Dance of the Dragons actually unfolds, we'll have already established this backstory. So they won't have to work around a lot of this, um, like not doing flashbacks rule and stuff like that. So I think, yeah, I think not having Aegon 2 will simplify, I mean, is an indicator that yeah, we're starting earlier. And I think that will simplify the the momentum that they have when they do get into the big drama. Um, yeah, the, there's plenty of intrigue, like you said, for them to get into in the first, uh, in the first season without uh, adding this new character. But it is interesting that the conflict that starts all this involves this guy and he's not even in the first season. So yeah, we'll see how they enough. play that out. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that you mentioned the whole idea of it doesn't, uh, you know, they can ignore some of the rules that Dave and Dan placed on themselves in terms of no flashbacks or whatever, which they eventually broke anyway. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, News that also came down that younger versions of one of the main characters, Rhaenyra, and uh, Alicent Hightower as well have been casted. They're going to be Millie Alcock and Emily Carey are going to be playing younger versions of these two principal characters in this story. So do we think it's going to be just small instances of fast flashback or are we going to actually see a progression of story from their younger selves towards uh, the bigger thing. I think we have to have the characters that we're going to be invested in at the age we're going to be invested in them for the majority of the series. So I'm almost kind of leaning more towards that these two young actors are just going to be, or younger actors are just going to be in flashback scenes. Um, like you said, they may just abandon that whole premise. But is there any possibility that we could get gosh, I hate to put it like this, but any possibility that we could get this one 
just early episode somewhere in the middle of the story where everybody's recalling how uh, some things happened when these two characters were younger uh, to put it into context, even after we've introduced the older versions of them. I know I'm rambling with a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I'm just stalling in order to give you time to think about and try to decipher what I'm actually saying. Um, how important is it to have a younger Rhaenyra and Alicent, which I could have said in just five seconds? <laughs> no, I think the, the the main thrust of your point was is well, well taken, because yes, the uh, characters that we got attached to are, you know, that was Ned and the flashback Ned was like, that's cool, but that's only because I love Ned, like Sean Bean Ned. So, you know, I think they can't lean on these actresses to, you know, have the show on their shoulders as far as the, the investment from the audiences, unless they are in a lot more of it. And we end up having more than we expect from like these characters as they're younger and then have their older selves somehow intertwined maybe mm-hmm. it's it is curious how they because the, these two ideas that we're talking about here having no Aegon, but having these two younger actresses you know have a larger enough role that we're hearing about them so if they it's it's risky that they would have a bulk of season one focus on um actresses that we're not going to see the majority of the show if the majority of the show takes place during most of the drama where they're older when we do have an Aegon the second. So um, it's tricky. I hope that they kind of take some of their, the lessons from Game of Thrones and other shows in general, where you have flashbacks where, you know, it's way better to use, you know, the main characters as uh, the main actors as the flashback option. So hopefully not, hopefully I'm hoping these aren't flashbacks. I don't know if uh, they're going to be in a bulk of the season, um, but I kind of hope that they are, if they're going to try to tell the story starting here. Yeah. Hopefully they don't rush it, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I do have uh, horror stories, uh, which you are well aware of from Lost and it's season six, where they took a whole episode uh, basically just to tell the story of of the original inhabitants of the island or somewhat original inhabitants of the island and how that explained why they were where they were in the time of the characters that were invested in. Uh, but I really just don't want, you know, if it's an eight episode season or a 10 episode season or what have you, I don't want one or two episodes, even if it's placed in the middle after we're already invested in the grown Rhaenyra and the grown Allison Hightower. I don't want to go back and say, oh, here's why they don't like each other. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure what the plan is there. And I'm not out of the box criticizing it or anything it just it doesn't seem uh to have reasoning for following the canon that i'm familiar with uh i'm sure there's stuff in it's been so long since i've read fire and blood i'm sure there's stuff in there about uh things that were coming up um is it also possible uh possible that they're just using this as an excuse so that we can see uh a younger king viserys uh with the you know the casting of, of patty constantine yeah, that or I'm, I'm thinking of Matt Smith has been cast as Damon. So I'm thinking maybe there will be more of the relationship between Rhaenyra and Damon um, and her storyline. I think they want to establish like the idea that Rhaenyra has this life here and Allison's coming into it. And I think this is the moment that we're obviously going to be intru- you know, introduced to both these characters together is when they're this young has to be when they're when they're meeting and when um, she, Allison's becoming Rhaenyra's stepmother. But yeah, so having having this backstory of Rhaenyra's 
established life as the the heir to the throne and having a you know her personhood you know um, understood by everyone around them when they're both the, at this age I think will help in the emotional payoff of having someone else take that from her. Good points. Good points all around. Uh, speaking of perhaps a non-canon approach, uh, there seems to be a character that has been casted of Rylan Malister. Now, we're very familiar with the last name Malister, but this Malister does not exist in the books Fire and Blood. Um, could this be a combination of a couple of different kind of warrior type of characters that they've molded into just a special <laughs> character that they're going to, you know, use uh, to propel whatever part of the story that he's in? Yeah, I I wonder if this is a part in the books that doesn't exist and they're they're just taking some leeway with that opportunity because mm. the, I mean Fire and Blood the books is is while it is girthy, it is long. <laughs> the the entirety of the the series, you know, doesn't have to be just what's on the page. So I feel like yeah, having taken this option of maybe starting that the show somewhere that isn't exactly on the page but is implied in the book is maybe a smart move because then you can't get criticized for not being a, as true to the text as first season of Game of Thrones really was and how it was, you know, heralded for that. It was really uh, appreciated for that. So taking the time frame when this character isn't necessarily in the book, but it is relevant and, and you you know of the family that he's coming from and stuff like that. So uh, it's believable. <laughs> I can hear it now. I can hear it now. That isn't the right color of black for the blacks. <laughs> that isn't the right color of green for the greens. Um, we will we'll find it. something. We'll find something, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, you worry. And, and we'll be happy to take your complaints as well. Just tweet to <laughs> at the letter B, the number four, <laughs> the dragon pod on Twitter, and uh, we will field those in feedbacks in the future. Uh, speaking of which, I'm planning on doing at least one podcast a week to cover House of the Dragons when it does come out. I'm also hoping to reinstate the fan call-in show uh, for people who like to do that thing. Uh, it's not nearly as popular a format as it used to be. Uh, terrestrial radio is just basically dying, and that's where the idea came from originally. It was like, oh, let's do a call-in show for Lost, where people, anybody can just call in, just like they can call into a radio AM radio station and uh, basically, you know, complain about whatever the alderman passed <laughs> last week. Uh, but this was uh, this was the idea, and I'm... I'll be trying to balance my time and figure out whether we can do that live. If we do do it, we'll probably do it on the Discord. And the Discord is something you can find uh, by going to mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. There is a special invitation link at the website, which you can click on and join the page. We have very few members. We need more members. Of course, we probably only have very few members because we podcast about once a year, uh, which makes <laughs> it hard for you to keep track of what's going on with the rest of us. But, but uh, hey. But yeah, I, get ready. That's a really good idea to do it on Discord. It's it's a uh, very popular place to go for call-ins, and that's a good option for a lot of people that are familiar with it. So I think that'll work out well for everybody. So get in there on the ground floor, guys. Exactly. <laughs> get in the conversation. Help steer the conversation at our Discord page. Uh, another topic. We loved on Samwell Charlie a lot in our list section of the podcast. Uh, but what if we have another Samwell? Incidentally, Tony Woodhead is the character, is the actor who was casted for this uh, Ry Ryland Man Malister. 
evidently. Uh, but uh, then another Samwell has been cast as well. Uh, Johnny Weldon joins the cast uh, of House of Dragons as uh, Samwell Blackwood. Gee, that doesn't sound anything like Samwell Tarly. Uh, I doubt that the character will be anything like Samwell Tarly, but it's just the name uh, bounciness uh, that makes me wince just a little bit. Bounciness? Yeah, Samwell Blackwood. Samwell Tarly. There's some bounciness to the name that says, I am a wimp. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, like, uh, like, like, like Matt here is a tough guy, but <laughs> besides that point, you know, uh, it's easy to be an armchair, uh, quarterback, uh, in terms of, uh, or an armchair showrunner in terms of, uh, you know, commenting on what the, what characters they're introducing here. Uh, Kelly, uh, you read this article. Do you have anything to say about it? <laughs> uh, I found it very interesting that they would go with a character named Samwell in the show, because like we said, they, there isn't a Ryland Malister, so they picked that name specifically for this character, and they picked the name Samwell for a reason. I think there's probably trying to either distinguish itself from Game of Thrones or relate itself to Game of Thrones, depending on how this character plays out, you know? So they're either going to try to make a distinction between this Samwell and this, you know, Game of Thrones Samwell. It's just a really weird choice that now we're going to have to mention the differences between which Samwell we're talking about if you're talking about show yeah. fandom now. Exactly. It's like, so when Samwell, wait, wait a minute, which Samwell? Uh, those kind of conversations will be happening around the water cooler all of the time. And then the, the <laughs> answer will be, well, the Samwell that's in this show, dummy, uh, which clarifies it immediately. <laughs> and then fights ensue in the office and everything. Except it doesn't really matter because nobody's in the office because we're all still uh, going under a pandemic because nobody got vaccinated. Get vaccinated, people. Get vaccinated. Uh, I'll try not to bring out my laundry and do it right in front of you on the podcast anymore. But just had to say that. Uh, so any other thoughts about uh, anything that you've learned regarding the House of the Dragon uh, so far? Uh, there were um, in the same leak, I suppose, uh, where the Venera and Alicent actresses were photographed on the ground. There was like carriages and they were um, there were also shots of them talking to a um, blue screened box that was elevated, which made the scene appear as though this were was going to include Dragons? a dragon. Dragons? I know. I'm very excited about that. Um, I... I don't have much in depth to say about it, but I am super interested to see how they distinguish the dragons from each other. It's been years since Game of Thrones, so hopefully they've um, advanced technology and they've um, made the dragons have different features so that we could tell them apart because there's going to be many, hopefully, uh, at least a dozen dragons in this series. So hopefully they'll make it easy on the audience to understand the difference between them beyond just like, you know, there's Cyrax, there's Melees, you know, they'll, they'll be able to, by looking at them, know who they are. Um, it's such a big, important part of the show that I hope that they um, lean into it. And hey, it's COVID times. Everybody's, you know, doing work from home. Let the let the engineers work. Let the designers do, do, do their job full time. It shouldn't be hindered, right? <laughs> you know, uh, just the studio just spends a whole lot of money and sends everybody home with a supercomputer and we're all good. Um, <laughs> but that, no, I get what you mean. I also feel that uh, I should uh, warn everybody, if you don't know this story, just think when you look at Game of Thrones, if you're here for some reason and you uh, missed all of the spoiler warnings and it's your fault, 
But uh, if you uh, look at the beginning of Game of Thrones, how many dragons are there? Then you look at the beginning of the House of the Dragons and we're telling you how many dragons there are. Do the math. Um, get ready for some deaths that will be a heck of a lot more creative uh, than Rhaegal's. <laughs> Meaning anything. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning kind of any- a, we've established the bottom rung of the ladder. You can only go up from there. Exactly. But yeah, that is something, another thing I am not, I was thinking about it today. I am not emotionally prepared for, but it'll happen and I will, I will experience it. And if you're like me and that was the hardest parts of that, the series of Game of Thrones was watching the dire wolves or the dragons die. I'm with you. We'll get through it together. (laughs) We will get through it together. Uh, Shaking our fists as we do. Most likely, um, because we'll we'll grow to love those characters. The, the technology has advanced so much. I can't imagine that these dragons aren't going to feel realer than more real than some of the characters. Dare I say? Anything else? Uh, big hopes, little worries, but I'm excited to get to talk about it either way. Because as I went through today, the memory of this fandom was awashed over me so i i love the fandom above above all else with this show i think i'm just excited to get back into that with you guys me as well i can't wait to hear from you folks i want to hear from you right now uh leave written reviews on the podcast app that you're getting this podcast on we'd really really appreciate it if you did uh simply because that helps us jump from maybe you know your 353rd favorite podcast on iTunes covering Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon and as Song of Ice and Fire to maybe the 325th uh right when you leave written reviews that really helps and when you leave a written review, you're automatically entered into a contest that I'll have later uh, once I decide what the heck I'm going to get you and when stuff is available. So that is very important for you to do. I probably should have said that during the part where people were just listening to Game of Thrones lists. But, you know, I drift around. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I am a professional. I've been doing this for 11 years and I still don't know how to promote myself one iota. Uh, That's why this podcast is free. Always follow this podcast. (laughs) Never subscribe. Subscribe indicates a paywall. We are not behind a paywall. Uh, We would never card you any money for hearing ridiculous words coming out of my mouth. Now, Kelly is very well worth the money. Her thoughts and opinions are great. They're opinionated and they are wonderful. Uh, And they deserve money. But I can't supply her any money, nor will I, because I can't charge you money because my words aren't worth it. And you hear me more often than you hear anybody else because I just keep talking and talking and talking mm-hmm. and talking mm-hmm. and talking and talking mm-hmm. and talking mm-hmm. and talking. She's <laughs> onto the bit. She finally caught onto the bit. When are you going to tell me to shut up? <laughs> I agree with every word, uh, but I, I, I did think it was a bit long, Matt. Um, I try to keep my criticism off air uh, when I rip into you, but uh, yeah, this time that was too far. That's what friends are for, folks. <laughs> tell you like it is, even on a podcast. I've got nothing else, Kelly. Do you have anything else? No, but I do want uh, to hear if people like the lists idea. We can do more of those in the meantime, in between time, um, because that was fun and 
don't know. What else are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, especially since, you know, I, I basically took all of my best ideas and put them into this first one. Uh, as is expected from me, it only goes downhill from here. Uh, Kelly, on the other hand, she's probably got a lot of creativity going on and she'll uh, look through all of her spreadsheets and her Venn diagrams <laughs> and find uh, a new list for us all to contemplate. Speaking of which, if you have suggestions for Kelly, Kelly, how can people contact you? Uh, for the diggity and final time, uh, go ahead and look me up on Twitter at Kelly Underfoot, K-E-L-Y, Underfoot like my girl. And yeah, I'm there occasionally, uh, lurking always. Wow, she's a lurker. That, <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable. You can find me, of course, at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. Have I said that enough? Did you get it? Let me try one more time. You can find me on Twitter at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. All jumbled together. It's hard to type out. Uh, so just follow once and then you can just, you know, find my profile. You can just type in B4. My profile will come up and then you can just click on it and tweet at me saying, you know, Matt, that was dumb. And we can move <laughs> on. We can both have a great day after that. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>